Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Yo. Yo. Aubrey Edwards, Tony Schiavone, we bout to party. We bout to party. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gon' turn it up, up. Bring the house down. Got that big space pump and make them bounce now. Flossing like they bossing and the freaks are coming out now. Welcome everybody to AEW Unrestricted, the official podcast of All Elite Wrestling. I am one of your amazing co-hosts. I, like I just put myself over right out of the gate. What the hell is this? I don't know. Aubrey Edwards, referee and podcast host, along with my more amazing co-host, Tony Schiavone. How you doing, Tony? Man, we just started. You are all the way fucking out of control. Already, man. Yeah, I had a... <laughs> you had a long weekend, I know. And uh, anyway, that's not what we're here about. It's it's great to talk to you, Aubrey. How are you doing? I'm doing great. My uh, my ego hasn't had enough coffee yet today. so Okay. So we've got uh, amazing podcasts, as we do every week. Particularly excited for this one because you're one of our um, newest additions to the roster, Mr. Malachi Black. Hello, how are you? Good morning. Good morning. Hello, how is everyone? We're doing great. It's it's great to have you with us. And just let me say, and I think got a lot of questions here about you and and your background in wrestling, but mm-hmm. I think everybody would agree that your entrance is probably the most amazing entrance that we have in AEW. Probably one of the most amazing ones in all of wrestling. How did you develop that entrance? There's a couple of things to that. Number one, right before I made my debut, I uh, released this little movie on my social media platform mm-hmm. that was you know, a tie-in to a lot of stuff and gave some backstory as to the how, the what, and the when. And there was a lot of like light cuts in that particular clip until the manifestation of, well, I wanted to see if I can have elements of that that translated towards the bigger screen. Uh, when I was in the other company, I had a very elaborate uh, bells and whistles kind of entrance, very produced. And n- not that that's a bad thing, right? but I consider myself a bit of a minimalist. And I wanted to see if I can create something similar by just using the bare minimum. When we talk about television wrestling, it's obviously very different than like live events. It's very different than regular professional wrestling, basically. It needs to translate. So I started thinking, how do I translate something on TV that gives a different impression and that makes, you know, that translates well in the theatrical aspects on television? So I came up with the three light cuts and the three different positions. I I asked myself, like, how can I, could I create an entrance based off of light cuts and just using three simple lights? And the result is what you see on TV. And it literally is one of the easiest entrances that we have. But 
taken your word for it. It is one of the more unique ones yeah. uh, that has been displayed in uh, professional wrestling, especially current day. I wanted to like switch away from the bells and whistles and just make something that is minimalistic in nature, but still has a very memorable impression to people at home, to the people in the audience. I think it's an incredible thing now that in the span of seven, eight weeks, the second that the lights cut, they know what time it is and the people just come up. Right. And then as soon as the first note of the song plays, everybody's quiets down because everybody wants to be involved and everybody wants to feel the entrance. And to me, as a, as a professional wrestler, as a performer, as someone that works on television and wrestling, that's what I want. I want the audience to be an inevitable part of my entrance and I want them to connect and feel to what it is that I'm doing. I want it to be an experience. So from the get-go, I wanted their attention. And this is how in my head I visualized that and I'm glad that it paid off. I uh I also have to thank Tony for allowing me to like, you know, build this and giving me the trust because the conversation literally went like, well, if I can't get it done in three months, then maybe we should uh, re-see if, I, if I'm a good fit. And we did it in less than four weeks. So that was, it was very rewarding, but that's basically the, the thought process and the uh, uh, manifestation behind my entrance. I was in the ring when you first made your appearance. And I remember thinking, not knowing what was going to happen or how it was going to happen. I was just told, you know, this is going to happen. It was absolutely creepy, it, and I it, it really startled me the the whole process of that. So I got front row seat to that. So <laughs> it obviously works, and I know you would agree, Aubrey. Oh yeah. Uh, now that I've been in the ring prior to a match, it gives me goosebumps. <laughs> so <laughs> it give, if it gives me goosebumps, and I'm already standing there, and I'm about to ref this match, it's like, oh man, I can only imagine what people at home are feeling. Probably from a complete opposite perspective. One of my favorite little uh, behind-the-scene notes about this entrance in particular was before you had your match with Cody in Jacksonville. Yeah. The night before, they had to do a rehearsal of the entrance, but you had not arrived yet. I know this story. (laughs) Instead, they had QT do the entrance, and no one really knew what was happening. We just kind of heard this, like, really menacing, like, powerful music. It's like, man, what is this? And then the lights come on, you see QT standing on the turnbuckle, like, looking as fierce as he possibly could, which was just, like, silly. (laughs) It's a testament to how you portray your character that someone who is attempting to do so cannot even, like, fathom touching what it is you do. So, Hmm. Thank you. Okay, Ash Castle, uh, this is from Twitter. Ash Castle wants to know, your entrances and character work is incredible, like we've discussed. This person wants to know, and something we all like to know, what horror movies, books, or video games do you take inspiration from? There, there's a lot of things like I wouldn't necessarily always say that it's like video games or, or, or movies in per se, like some of the elements are. And of course, everything is inspired by for this particular one. I kind of dove into European tribes from around the time when Julius Caesar was around. And I, I stumbled upon this deity called Cernunos or Chernunos. And uh, Chernunos was this god of the underworld or he guarded the safe the passageways between two worlds and he wasn't necessarily good he wasn't necessarily evil but he 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 was a gateway between the two between the up and the down his aesthetic is that he sits cross-legged he has a snake and a scythe in his hand you know they call him the horned god 
So he has antlers. And I wanted to bring in something in terms of aesthetics that references, you know, because they were the lower land Celts. So basically France, uh, Belgium, the Netherlands, parts of where I'm from. So I wanted to bring something in that was in a very far way, a reach towards my ancestry in a very, very far way, of course, because I'm talking to possibly 3000 years ago, right? But still something that I could pick up and take with me from Europe. And that was important to me. The name Malachi, the initial idea behind the name Malachi was from Children of the Corn. I've always liked the name Malachi. Malachi means a small messenger, a lower messenger in, in certain Hebrew texts. He is, he is, he is uh, one of the messengers of God. He delivers uh, bad omens. And I, th- I thought that was very fitting. Mm-hmm. I used the Dutch spelling of the name because the American spelling has a C-H-I and the Dutch spelling is, K- is with a K. And when I made the transition from, from Alistair to Malachi, like Alistair is such an Old Testament kind of name, it, it holds weight. And I wanted a name that had similar weight. And I felt Malachi was fitting for both the symbolic reasons, but also for the Old Testament reasoning behind it. You know, take an effect, take that an effect, take in effect that I also used the demon Moloch uh, from the book of King Solomon. And in, in some cases, Moloch is a an entity that's being worshipped at, at autumn. I wanted to have that children of the corn vibe to it as well. And that demon is basically a demon that would fit in that category. As I, as I also said to Jericho, I liked, I, I think the idea possession is terrifying. So I used a lot of like movies about uh, possessions. Take your pick, Exorcism of Emily Rose, The Exorcist, you know? And I thought the idea of this entity living inside Tommy Ann's head called Malachi or Moloch, basically manifesting himself through the wound of the eye and taking over Tom. I thought that was something different. I thought that was something new. I thought that was something that I could use and I could convey and present. And the thing is, I've always had a knack for theatrics. One of the, one of my favorite things about wrestling is the ability to portray something and like give an aesthetic. And for me, wrestling can be more than just you versus me. I think it can be an entire presentation. It can be something that you can you can take home and, and talk about for years to come and you know really dive into and like you know dissect what it is that not necessarily only what I'm doing, but what other people are doing within the space of having interacting uh, a storyline with with someone who's like Malachi Black. I love when every all of these little tiny details are just thought out. And it means so much more. Like even if people don't know all of the details, I think it's just one of those things that people feel and it comes across. I love it. Sure. I want to talk a little bit about your debut in Miami. So you sort of had it after, you know, the Nightmare Family since you came here. How did you keep that a secret all day? <laughs> so my my contract was up three days before my debut. And obviously there was no direct contact between myself and, and, and Tony at the time until like the contract was done. I presented him with an idea. I said, look, I know you have the show on Wednesday. This is what I want to present you. This is how I feel. This is what I think. And he said, let's give it a go. He got really excited about it, as, as Tony does, you know. Let's fucking go. Yeah. The, the, the phrase, <laughs> let's effing go, came, came up a couple of times. That's his phrase. Yeah. I think that Tony is just a really good judge of character with with stuff. And he he understands to let the professionals do do their thing. And I feel that there's a very big mutual respect between me and Tony. 
Obviously, Tony is, is no stranger to the world of wrestling. And he had seen what I'd done previous and he liked it. And then with, with, with some discretions, he said, all right, let's, let's pull the trigger on this. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of time for it to kind of get out. Preemptively, I already like, because I had this idea in my head from the second I, I transitioned back to being a free agent, basically. I had this idea in my head of what I wanted to do. And I was like, well, the only platform that I feel is fit for this is AW. So even though we had literally three days to finalize it, I had about 27, 26 days to kind of like, you know, write this whole thing out, map this whole thing out, talk to several people of like, you know, bouncing off ideas, coming up with this idea. And I just presented this entire like ball of information to Tony and Tony just absorbed it and was like, yeah, I love it. Let's give it a go and we'll see where it ends. The rest is history because obviously it was a big success. It was. It was a big surprise. I, I know you kind of hold up in the hotel the entire day. Mm -hmm. and, and I remember even Cody that day saying, we've, we've got a, a surprise tonight. <laughs> and I went, okay. I mean, that, a lot of times that's what they say. You know, you just got it. So, and so when you appear, that, that's the first time I even knew that you were here. So Yeah, we kept it away from everyone. Yeah, which is great. I, I love doing that. I, I, and I'm so glad Tony does that because I think as announcers and as employees, our surprise is authentic and it, it comes across that way. It's difficult to have a genuine surprise in this day of social media mm -hmm. and, and you know especially in 2021 to keep things a secret and to keep it hidden there was one moment as i'm driving in and this was just one of those oh shit oh i was lost <laughs> and i'm driving in and there's two fans walking about six feet away from my car and i just go oh, oh no but for some bizarre reason they didn't look my way i was with uh, uh josiah from wrestling flow Mm -hmm. He was documenting a bunch of stuff and he just kind of like came at the same time as held her breath going <gasps> and they, they just walked past us and it was just, oh, and then we were, you know, at that, at that point I said, hey, dude, I'm going to hop in the back of the car. You drive and I'll just cover myself in like suitcases and, 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 and jackets and whatnot. And uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a little too close to uh, for comfort. But um, hey, we did it. Like, but that was the story behind like the surprise. and. It definitely stands out as one of the coolest moments uh, of my career because it was self-made. That's what I take away from it. That's that's why I take pride in stuff that you do yourself that gets rewarded or that is deemed a success or feels like a success. Absolutely love it. We're talking to Malachi Black, one of our recent roster additions and very, very scary and intimidating individual when he's on the screen. Talked a little bit about background being Dutch and whatnot. We're going to touch on that a little bit more coming up. This is AEW Unrestricted. Tony and Aubrey talking with Malachi Black here on this uh, beautiful day for wrestling. And I say that because it's seemingly for us, every day is a beautiful day for wrestling. It's a great time to be a wrestling fan. It's true. I think I've said that many times. And one of the reasons, because all the great talent that is coming into AEW, and obviously Malachi Black right at the forefront of that. Before we talk about your wrestling history, mm -hmm. Of course, you've been involved in the angle with Cody and the Nightmare Family, but another member of the Nightmare Family appeared, and that was Rosario Dawson. He did. Who yeah. came out and jumped on your back. That was quite a scene. <laughs> I mean, I she looked pretty brazen. She looked pretty confident uh, about doing just that. Uh, talk about that, how that all developed. That was brought up almost at the beginning. 
of, of us doing this because there was like some talk and debate about him wanting to bring in someone like a, like a Hollywood name of a connection that he had. Right. It was Rosaria Dawson. And I, I think that she's a, you know, she's a phenomenal actress. I think that she's great. So I was pretty excited for that. Incredibly like kind lady. Very much so. Yes, 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 yes. Fit right in with our band of misfits, basically. <laughs> yeah, no, she was, uh, she was great. I, I told her, I said, look, you know, when I'm out there, just look at me as if I just slapped your mom and her face just changed. And I was, uh, I said, that's it right there. That's the look right there. That's it. <laughs> it was a very, uh, very cool experience. Uh, she was ecstatic. She, she absolutely loved it. She, she had a great time backstage. She had a great time on TV. Me and Cody really beat the shit out of each other. That was, uh, yes, you did. That was definitely one of the hardest brawls I've ever had. As short as it was, me and me and Cody, despite the interaction for so far at this point being limited, every time we got physical, we got physical. And Rosaria jumped right into that because I had to tuck my chin because she came in and just cinched it in. I was like, oh, okay, that's what we're <laughs> doing today, huh? But it's the excitement of TV and it's like something that like obviously, you know, it's new, but she uh, she did she did she did really well, and she was very thankful. She was very appreciative, and she had a great time. Her family had a great time. I mean, it's always cool to be involved in wrestling. You know, what I mean, it's one of yeah. those, like especially you know in the United States, it's so ingrained in the fabric of uh, entertainment in the United States. It's it's the reason I'm here from a whole different country. So to be a part of you know someone as like high ranked. As an actress, as Rosaria Dawson, have that interaction. It was an incredibly cool experience. Absolutely. So you mentioned it a couple times just now and previously in our last segment, you're from the Netherlands. And I'm curious, is there a wrestling scene in the Netherlands at all? Yes, but very small. I will say that my presence in the United States has has helped. You know, my exposure to like national television for like the past five, six years has done a great job. But when I started out, the Dutch wrestling scene was very, very small. Uh, there was one promotion, FCW, and oh, I'm, I'm lying. It was FCW, Freestyle Championship Wrestling, and Dutch uh, Wrestling Federation. And the Dutch Wrestling Federation is where I kind of started and had my first match with them back in 2002. So I've been uh, I've been at it for a while. Started in 2000, started training with with uh, a bunch of people. And then transitioned to DWF, a Dutch Wrestling Federation. And in July 18th, 2002, I had my first match ever. So right now, I'm, I've been involved in wrestling for 21 years, which seems like a crazy amount of time to spend in wrestling. But then again, who am I talking to, Tony? So... <laughs> Yeah, so the, the Dutch wrestling scene is uh, doing really well. There's a company called Pros in Holland, which is more of an institute that runs shows. They have a training facilities. They have really great trainers. They've got a good system. And, th- th- and there's a few wrestlers from the Netherlands that definitely have made waves through Europe, and some of them got to the United States. Guys like Emil Satoshi, Yurian Simmons, Tenkwa, uh, Michael Dante, who was my former tech partner in Japan and uh, back in Europe. Those guys definitely made waves in the scene, but the Netherlands is such a tiny speck of land and the wrestling there is still developing. And it's very hard to present something as professional wrestling to Dutch people because they're very sober minded. We're very straightforward. <laughs> something that's not something that uh, people always thank me for because I'm quite direct. Right. But that's just, that's just embedded in our, in, in the way we are raised. 
if it isn't soccer, if it isn't ice skating, if it isn't cycling, if it isn't kickboxing, yeah, Dutch people tend to be a little biased on it and kind of like, oh, it's the Dutch pretend fighting and oh, you know, like they don't they don't really care about it. But when we went back at one point, I had a live event in the Netherlands. And it got up to like 8,000 people. So that's really, really, really good. Damn. It definitely showed that there was there was growth happening. There is definitely room for professional wrestling in the Netherlands, but it has been developing for well over 25 years. And it's, it's slow steps. Like it kind of goes up. I think one company in the Netherlands got up to 900 people, which is a really substantial number for an independent wrestling company. Yeah. And ever since then, I think, I think the, the, the numbers dwell between 150 to 300 people per show. So it's not crazy, but I remember back in the day when I was wrestling in front of 15 to 20 people. So there's growth, but it's very limited. So it was also very difficult to get like ahead of everything. And I had to travel all over uh, Europe to get my training done, to get matches done. I trained in Germany for the most part, France, the United Kingdom. That's kind of where my base of operations was. What got you interested in wrestling? What what lit the fire for you? I have this memory of something. And the funny thing is, I don't know if it's a fake memory or not. And I've been asking people this question and no one seems to remember this particular event. So maybe you do, Tony, because you're such a mind and such a, a rich history in wrestling, right? Okay. What started my initial intrigue in wrestling is I'm sitting with my dad on the couch. And I mind you, we didn't have WWE, WWF on television in the Netherlands. We had it for a brief while on a channel called Eurosport. Okay. I have this memory about me being three, four, five years old. And I'm watching and I see the million dollar man in the ring offering money to Yokozuna. And Yokozuna kicks the money out of his hand. And my dad flicked through it. He looked at it and he was gone. And I was like, what was that? And that kind of remained with me. And then we got New Japan on Eurosport. I was hooked. I watched every morning. I watched New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I wanted to do it. And like I told my mom at age six, I want to be a pro wrestler. I want to be a pro wrestler. My mom was like, yeah, sure. Who's <laughs> laughing now, mom? <laughs> so um, I wanted to be a professional wrestler since the age of five, six, seven years old. But, you know, what I'm seeing is two dudes fighting in the ring. So I'm thinking this is martial arts. Now, mind you, at the same time, I'm watching Kickboxer and Bloodsport and, and Best of the Best and all these like martial arts movies. So I, in my head, I tie these in, and this is what I want to do. So my mom puts me on karate and judo and all these martial arts. And then by the age of nine, obviously, I understood at this point that it was like not the same, but I was hooked in martial arts too. I really liked martial arts. I was good at it too. And at that point, we got WCW in the Netherlands, every Friday for one hour, we had match of the week. And it was two to three matches of WCW television. Every once in a while, they would throw in an angle or they would throw in a pay-per-view match, but it was always a select few matches on the channel called RTL5. And I taped everything and I just got hooked on everything and I just devoured it. I did nothing but wrestling. Everything was wrestling, 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 wrestling. I was obsessed with it. I'm still obsessed with wrestling. Sure. And then by the age of 10-ish, I, I transitioned to like kickboxing and I, I kickboxed for about five, six years. Then at the age of 15, I got the opportunity to train professional wrestling and I never looked back and I disbanded like myself from martial arts, started training for wrestling. And then seven years into my wrestling career, I felt that I was missing something because my main influence in wrestling was always martial arts, not just because of what I trained, but because of the wrestlers that I liked. You know, I liked Hayabusa, Yuji Nagawa, all these more martial arts orientated wrestlers, right? Sure. 
I was 21, 22, and I really, really missed going to martial arts because I was I missed the conditioning, I missed the combat conditioning, and I missed the competitive team spirit, I missed the dojo spirit, I missed I missed all of that, and I knew that I was missing that. So despite already like having in like incorporated a lot of like my martial arts into wrestling, there were it was very very cookie cutter almost. At the time, I also got exposed to uh, Kanta for the first time, and he was one of those guys that really made me think about modern day wrestling and the modern style of professional wrestling. And when I went back, I started dissecting my style. And that's when I started really, really coming into like my own and really developing, you know, what is my style now? And I like, I still evolve every single time, every single time. I like, I think about different techniques, different, different holds, different ways of doing different things. I always like to think that my, my footwork comes from martial arts. My way of moving comes from martial arts that I've infused in professional wrestling. And I'm not the first one to do that, but I I'm doing it my way. So yeah, for me, that's kind of like how my, how my exposure and my, my evolutionary stages to professional wrestling for me kind of worked and, and are still working to this day. I love when you see different parts of different sports integrate and oh, it's so good. So good. We've, learned a lot about your background and whatnot, but there's a ton of fan questions. We solicited them on Twitter and lots of lots of stuff, including questions about your cats, which I'm particularly interested about. So yeah, let's go to fan questions coming up. This is AEW Unrestricted. Tony and Aubrey here with the wonderful and amazing Malachi Black. We've got lots and lots of fan questions. A couple things we've touched on previously. Really, really excited to deep dive a little bit more. So we talked about your your entrance and your character and how you're presented on TV. We've got a question from Anticlimactic J. Uh, do you have any pre-show routines for bringing such a dark character to the ring? Yeah, so I have a I have an acting coach. She's given me like several techniques that I use. There's certain types of music that I listen to. Sometimes I read a few pages out of a certain book. I, I like everything for me has to be atmospheric. So the music I would listen to is atmospheric. The books that I have are aesthetically atmospheric and the material is darker or lighter, depending on what I feel that I need to be. And sometimes I need to be more aggressive. So I'll change the music, change the setting, change the pre-match ritual. But for the most part, there's definitely like a ritual other than like the warming up routines. And and sometimes, sometimes I feel like I'm in there already and I could just go out there and do it. But yeah, there's definitely there's definitely parts of me that has to have to like, depending on how graphic or visual it needs to be, that will take inspiration from one thing to really pull myself down into a darker, deeper place. If need be, <laughs> it's usually quite easy to turn on, to be honest, after uh, after so many years. But all of us draw inspiration from certain things like like from you as a referee or tony as an announcement we all draw inspiration from something we all not necessarily mimic something but we looked at something and felt these are points that i can use to myself to like bring out what i want to bring out and you know through years and years of reflecting and dissecting and criticizing and criticism you create this routine in which you almost try to get to the point of perfection right before you walk out in terms of that like mental aspect, that mindset of where you want your persona, your, your, your you to be, basically. We are talking with Malachi Black. Uh, this is from Ad Henners. Can you explain the meaning behind your makeup around your eye, if there is any? Don't really know if I want to touch on that. Mm. Okay. The one thing I can tell you is that for the character, 
It's not makeup. Think of it as a disease. Mm-hmm. Think of it as a, uh, a symbolic way for a manifestation to overtake a host. That's about as much as I'll say about that. Okay. Question from Davia Watts on Twitter. Any plans for a cinematic match? I loved the Prison Break Devil made me do it videos and would love to see more of them. Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. I, like, I do plan on making more like these like short little horror movies that I like because it's maybe not all of them are going to be towards the Malachi Black character. I do a lot of writing. I, I have various creative outlets in my life. And the older I get, the more I discover. And the more I discover, the more I want to fulfill. And I have long got to the point now that I need to not say no to myself if I feel like I need to do something. It's the same thing with that movie. By the way, the funny thing is, right, people think that that is the first time I did something like that. But way back before I got signed or before I moved over to the United States, I was in a tag team called the Sumerian Death Squad. And we used to film promos like little horror movies. Now, due to where I went, I had to put all of those away because, you know, they were very graphic because there was ones where we literally like, you know, slice people's throats and stuff like that. We can't have that. Like, I should probably put them back online. But that started way back 2010, 2011, when we get these cinematic promos because we just wanted to be different. And I just, again, I had this creative vision in my head and we had a good location for it. We just wanted to be different. And like, again, this is a creative part of me that I've always wanted to express. And at the time, I was in a company called ICW with St. Champs Wrestling in, in, in Glasgow. And the promoter, Mark, was just like, now go ahead, man, have fun with it. Like, show me what you got. Like, I love it. Just, just do it, do it. And he really gave me that platform to explore that creative part of myself because I've always wanted to do it. And then once that started happening, a lot of these other promotions started going like, hey, uh, that kind of problem, do you mind doing one for us? And because uh, we have you on this and this day, would you, you know, and I was like, yeah, sure. Because, you know, it was something that I can, I can use to not just promote myself, but to fulfill that creative button that I have. And the same goes with, with this. I filmed that one. And now that I have the connections, the budget, the locations, I definitely want to film more of those, but not all of them would necessarily be more towards Malachi Black. I think a bunch of them will. I've written five or six right now. But when it comes down to the actual cinematic match, I don't know, simply because I don't know if there's something that Tony would ever want to touch on. Tony is a big wrestling fan, so I don't know if this fits in his vision of what he feels AEW needs to be. And Tony is the boss. Would I be up for it? If I can find the right way to do it with the right theme behind it, with the right opponent, I'm absolutely willing to ponder it. But I do feel that it was mainly due to the pandemic that they became more popular. Right now, we're glad that all of our fans are back ringside. We're glad that the world is slowly turning somewhat to normal, if we ever consider what we're going into normal. For the time being, I think it's not up for up for debate or anything. But in the future, if the opportunity arises, like I said, the right opponent, the right theme behind it, the right drive and energy, yeah, I'll definitely consider it. Absolutely. Iana wants to know, can you talk about the origin of your clothing brand, Black Mass? Yeah. So Black Mass clothing came into effect about 
three, almost four years ago, when Bobby Shubinsky from Blackcraft Cult contacted me, and he is one of my closest friends. He is a mentor to me. Uh, he's a very successful businessman. Blackcraft Cult is by far the biggest alternative brand in the world, and he built that with his partner. He wanted to do some shirts with me, and I've I've always wanted to do like you know stuff like that because I I love the idea of being able to create my own clothing. Because again, that's you know we're talking about these creative buttons, and this is also an outlet for me. And we did some shirts, and they were very successful, and they were like my vision combined with his designers, and it did so well that he was like, "You ever think about like forming your own uh, clothing brand?" And I said, "Like, well, I've always always thought about it." So he's like, "Why don't you come up with something? Think about something?" And it was it was easy for me. Like, I, I think I made the company Black Mass LLC that turns to the like one of the branches is Black Mass Clothing. I had my designer from back when I was in the Indies that made my clothing designs. And it, that was already kind of a way for me to kind of have my own clothing label because we already did like wrestling merchandise that looked like more like merchandise that we'd buy in the store because that's always been my way of like approaching uh, wrestling stuff. We started designing and now we're four years in. We are a legit company that pays taxes. <laughs> I have uh, six employees, four of those being like my closest friends. And, you know, we're fully functioning. We're doing really good. We're currently talking to some outlets. I can't name them, but if everything goes to plan, quarter one or quarter two of 2022, you're going to see us in a bunch of stores, in a bunch of really big stores, Very cool. which is really crazy. So the idea behind it is that I wanted to put stuff that I liked from my childhood and translate that onto clothing. As I was growing up, I always had questions about religion. So I read a lot about religion. I find religion fascinating. I'm not a religious person, but I find the concept of world religions very fascinating. I find the ideas of deities and gods and, and mythology super fascinating. I love the occult. I love tattooing. I love skateboarding. I love hardcore. I love black metal. So I combined all of those and started putting that basically on on shirts on hoodies on hats and you know i have a phenomenal designing team like i generally vouch for the guys who design all my clothing to be some of the best designers that are around it, it was crazy because it kind of started as like a, oh, a little side project and now it turned into this like whole massive thing that makes a profit and has employees and like i have business meetings and like <laughs> you know like i have four or five different calls each and every week sometimes a day in regards to products in regards to approval in regards to hey where do you want to go with this hey this band wants to collaborate with you that band wants to collaborate you right now we're, we're, we're starting to work with cradle of filth which is like you know huge because cradle of filth is one of the biggest metal bands in the world that's a little exclusive for you right there. Hey. And like, you know, we've worked with Cult Leader. We've worked with Carnifex. You know, we're doing stuff with members of Avenged Sevenfold. And it's just like, it keeps keeps on growing and growing. And I, can, I guess it kind of sidelines with, with, with wrestling because I never thought in wrestling that I would get where I would go. Like my whole mentality in my entire life was just keep your head down and work. Don't get distracted. Don't get sidetracked. People are going to have an opinion on this side, on this side, no matter what you do. If you're going to cater to this side of the opinion, then this set's going to become more stronger. If you're going to cater to that side, this set's going to... So it, it doesn't matter what you do. You've got to do it for yourself. There is no reason to worry or cater to whatever criticism, like you know, negative criticism that you're going to get. So I've always had that mentality of just like keeping my head down 
and work. It has worked for my wrestling career. It has worked for my clothing brand. So it is a formula that I apply on everything and nothing in this life is done without hard work. And I, I am a firm believer of hard work and dedication as cliche as that sounds, but there's a reason it sounds cliche. It's because it works. Don't get distracted. And the same thing I did with my wrestling career, I did the same thing with black mass. And you know, here we are. Damn. Got a question from Nathan Leon. How do you come up with the adorable and awesome names for your cats? <laughs> I just come up with the most random ideas. One of them named Toddy Potato is looking at me right now, which was my first one, actually. I don't know, man. I just I just come up with like stupid names and they make me laugh and they make my wife laugh. Uh, like I said, we just got a, a bangle and my wife named them like Blue because he had blue eyes. And I kind of went like, eh, you know, his full name was Blueberry. And all of a sudden we started calling him Bloopy. And it was just like hilarious because like, why, why would a cat be named Bloopy? It makes no sense. It's stupid, but exactly that's why it's funny. So all our cats have like seven different names. Like it starts with Toddy Potato and then it becomes Tudor or, or Toter. And it just kind of takes weird shapes on its own. And how do I come up with it? I don't know. It just comes to mind that eventually it takes a life on its own. And it's, uh, it's quite funny if I have to explain when we're at the vet and she goes, what's his name? It's uh, Pickles P. Pumpkin. And they were like, <laughs> and the, and one of the ladies in my like, what's the P stand for? I said, like, oh, Petunia. <laughs> and she just looks at me and she kind of chuckles as she writes it down. I was like, what the fuck? And so, you know, but like, it's, I don't know. It's cheap hops, I guess. <laughs> I think it's great. I think it's creative. I mean, I've got a dog with a boring name of Bug, B-U-G, that's it. No, it's great. That's the, But that's what I mean. Bug is a great name for because why would a dog's name be Bug? But it's hilarious, right? Because it makes it makes no sense. <laughs> that's like, right. <laughs> I remember seeing the Family Guy episode where the mayor has all his cats. He picks up one cat and his cat's name is Paul and he just dies laughing. Because what person names a cat a human name? And I just like, no, that, but that's it. That's exactly the point. Like, why would your cat's name be Paul? Why would you name your dog Bug? Why would you name your cat Tubby Tomato? Like, like it, it just makes no goddamn sense. And that's, I guess that's what makes it funny. So all of them have really ridiculous names. So. Uh, one final question from uh, Sari L. Hi from Finland. Also, as a fellow English as a second language, curious, what's been your biggest hurdle in learning to cut promos in English other than Dutch? The fact that I spoke Dutch and still speak Dutch, I'm 36, and for the majority of my life, 30 years, I spoke and thought Dutch. Sure, I was traveling. Sure, on the weekends, or four or five days a week, I spoke English. But the main denominator was always that you... You spoke Dutch, so your brain's Dutch, so you wired Dutch, so your grammar is Dutch. Right. The biggest hurdle to this day is being able to translate what I read on a, on a sheet. Thank God that AW doesn't do this. The, the one big plus with me for AW, there's not scripted promos, there's ideas. And that works for me. Right. Like back in NXT, they initially tried the scripts with me, and I was like, it just doesn't compute here because I have to translate everything. I can't remember it. If you tell me, hey, talk about this, talk about this, make sure you mention that, that I can do. So as I'm progressing, my promos got better. It's it's hard for me to convey and memorize. But if you allow me to just talk, I can do that. I can talk from the heart of this character. So my biggest hurdle is translating in my head. 
if you and I are having a conversation like this, and like, you know, Tony, if you would be there from a character point of view, talking from a character point of view to my character point of view, I can have that conversation because I can answer, like I said, from the heart of the character. But if you're like, hey, we're saying this, you're saying this, this is your rebuttal, that's your rebuttal, this is what you say, it doesn't stick in my head. I have to have an organic way of communicating with people, whether that is from the character itself or whether that is from me as, as Tom. This is organic. It's action-reaction. You're asking me a question, I react to it. I can do that. The conveying of written down promos for me takes away the authenticity of the emotion that I want to and try and convey because I can't react to you in an organic way. So that has always been my greatest hurdle. But now that I've had the go out there, have fun, not a problem for me anymore. It's been one of my biggest wins personally. And not that I necessarily think that I like, the thing is like, I could do it. But I felt that it wasn't, it wasn't me. And like for me, for someone that puts so much thought and effort into, you know, that part of his career, his character, ripping out the soul of something is like the worst thing for me because it's for me, it's, it's, it's creative murder, especially in the beginning. That was like my biggest issue. Later on, it got better. Personal wise, well, you just kind of saw it. Sometimes the words aren't always there. And, you know, like I'm trying to trying to remember, I'm still trying to remember what they're, I'm going to text you later on today going, <laughs> Tony, this was the word. This is what I was trying to say. Sometimes the words just don't come to me. Like I know it in Dutch, but I don't know what it is in, um, in the English language. Yeah. And that happens very rarely because obviously for the most part, I speak pretty perfect English. Languages have always been my thing. I like speaking multiple languages. I like, I used to love learning languages. I don't know if it was something that I thought was fun. I always think it's fascinating. There's like different parts of the world, you know, especially in the Netherlands. If you travel two hours, all of a sudden people speak German. And then like you go down three hours and all of a sudden people speak French. And you know what I mean? So it's very fascinating for me that in the span of a couple hours drive, the entire way of communicating just changes. I find that fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. We've been speaking with Malachi Black. Tommy, thank you, buddy. No problem. Uh, it's great talking to you. Some good stuff, and we appreciate you being with us. And uh, you can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Tommy End, and you can listen and follow this podcast, AW Unrestricted, for free wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a rating and a review, too. Leave us a rating. If you want to leave us a review, I ain't going to read it. <laughs> I found, the, I remember the word. What is it? What? Harvest God. Ah. That's the word. Sorry. All right. There. We just As you, see, I told you, I told you it was gonna happen. <laughs> okay. God damn it. <laughs> ah, the brain works when you think it's not. Check out our video episode on YouTube. Just search AEW Unrestricted. And Aubrey, don't forget about our television shows. We got Elevation on Mondays. We got Dark on Tuesday, both of them on YouTube. We've got Dynamite. Uh, on TNT, 8 o'clock, 7 central on Wednesdays. And then Friday, you can watch Rampage, 10 o'clock, 7 central, also on TNT. I'm Aubrey Edwards here with my close personal friend, Tony Schiavone. Thank you, Malachi. This was an absolutely fascinating conversation. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. Come on, throw your hands up. Let me see you. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gonna turn it.